the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu wrote centuries ago, being deeply loved by someone gives you strength, while loving someone deeply gives you courage. Moses, the great hero of the Hebrew people, did not know the words of Lao Tzu, but he understood the meaning behind them. He had discovered in the love he had received and the love that he had given the deep courage necessary to stand in the halls of the most powerful politician in the world and proclaim the greatest sermon ever given in four words, let my people go. He found his, his way there through the love he'd received, the love he'd given. He discovered a way to see with his heart, and it gave him strength and courage to speak for his people. We're getting just a little bit ahead of the story. I want to reflect before we get into Moses' complete story about a little bit about those words, about what it means to be deeply loved while also loving someone deeply. What happens when we allow ourselves to live in such a way? My friend Jim is a veteran of the Vietnam War. He flew helicopters. He told me that 90% of the time, war is absolute boredom, and 10% is absolute terror. He told me a story when this was true. A call came in. There were four Four of his buddies, four of his, four of his brothers in arms who were, who were trapped down, who were, who were stuck in a place they could not get away from. They were surrounded on almost all sides by enemy fire. And Jim and his team were called to go in and, and, and lift those four guys out of that dangerous place. And as Jim got, began to get closer and closer to the battle, his helicopter began to receive gunfire from down on the ground. And of course, as, he, as you would, he returned to the fire. And Jim said, as he told me this story, that two thoughts almost immediately came to him. As, as he could see the tracers flying past his helicopter, as he was returning fire, all he could think about were his buddies down there and how much he loved them and cared for them and wanted to get them out safely without injury or harm. He said, but at the same time, I also thought about my mother and all I wanted to do, I just wanted to get back to St. Louis where he grew up. I just wanted to get back to St. Louis and see my mom again. In that moment, like, both of those thoughts came, he said. Both. I'd love for you to meet Jim someday. He was just a kid. Just a kid when he was in Vietnam flying helicopters. 21 years old. Anybody know a 21-year-old that we've got one at home? I can't imagine. He's an all-American boy. Played basketball in high school. Was offered a full ride at TCU to play basketball there. But went and joined the Army. And became a helicopter pilot. Served our country. I thought of Jim, especially as I reflected on these, these words of Lao Tzu, being deeply loved by someone gives you strength, while loving someone deeply gives you courage. Jim knew his brothers in arms loved him. Oh, they may not have used that word. That may not have been the emotionally correct word to say to your, to your, your buddy in the, in the army. But at the same time, he knew. He knew deep in his heart that it was true, and he also knew that he loved his mother, and that combination of both receiving and giving love gave him the strength and the courage that he needed. I'll never forget this conversation with Jim and the emotion in his voice. And then he said, as I look back on the attack, I realize now that the one who was firing upon us probably was experiencing the same emotions. 
He just wanted to protect his brothers in arms. He too was probably just 18, 19, 20 years old and he wanted to get back to his mom. You know, I wonder, I wonder if, if the world ever will see Christian folks like us finally letting our own Bible speak to us in the way that Lao Tzu wrote to the Chinese people. You remember, the, you remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth? 1 Corinthians 13, we call it. It's almost cliche. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not arrogant, boastful, rude. Or boastful or rude. And then it gets to the end. And what are the last three words of that beautifully written letter? Love never fails. Do you think ever we'll be able to receive that word and live that word with courage and strength? Do you recall what Jesus experienced on, on the day we call Palm Sunday where he stood on the Mount of Olives looking out over the city of Jerusalem, and Luke's gospel says that he weeps as he says to the city, I wish that you knew of the things that make for peace. Deep courage comes from that place where we know we are loved and we know we love. This is a singular idea of love that never fails, of love that brings us peace, has never fully been tried by the church in 2,000 years. What would happen in our world if we could let those words guide us in everything that we do? Well, we've seen in the story of, of Moses, the, the great prophet and the hero of the Hebrew nation, and the way he stood before Pharaoh. But let's, let's go back to earlier in his story. You might recall that, that Moses was plucked out of the water by the daughter of of the Pharaoh when he was just a child, was rescued, grew up in the halls of Pharaoh, was probably going to become a prince of Egypt when one day he knew that he was of the Hebrew people and he saw a Hebrew slave being beaten by his Egyptian slave master. Moses stepped in and if you recall the story, he killed the Egyptian slave master, buried him in the sand to cover his tracks. The next day, the same Hebrew slave who was being beaten by that slave master was getting into an argument with another Hebrew, and Moses stepped in between the two of them and said, you're of the same nation. I share that with you. Why are you fighting amongst yourselves? And this one slave looked at him and said, oh, are you going to kill me now too? Are you going to kill one of us? The story is kind of ambiguous in the way it's told. There's no clear ethical right or wrong thing to do. And it's kind of interesting how the, the Bible just presents this as it is without giving us the interpretation, except that Moses is frightened. And so he runs away. He goes out to the desert. He gets away from Egypt, realizing that he might be caught for the murder that he's committed. And eventually meets a woman, falls in love. They have children. He becomes a shepherd of his father-in-law's flocks. And he lives there for 30, 40 years, raising his family, enjoying this marvelously idyllic, peaceful, simple life. When out of nowhere, and he's probably long forgotten by now in, in, in Egypt, when out of nowhere, as he's out caring for his flocks, he sees in the distance a bush that is burning. It's, it's being consumed by fire, but it's not burning up. The bush seems to be fine. It's surrounded by the fire, and yet the bush continues on. It is for him a sacred and holy moment. I want, I want to pause there for, for, for just, a mo just a moment. This shrub is not being, not being burnt to a crisp. It's just continuing on. You know, we, we Western folks, we tend to see something that's sacred and mystical and, and mysterious and miraculous. We tend to dismiss it and say, oh, that couldn't really happen. There's, there's something else going on there. And, and trust me, I, I understand that. I, I, I read the Bible carefully. I, I take the Bible seriously. 
Not literally, that's how we practice it here in the church, but, but sometimes I think we rush too quickly past the miracle and just kind of poo-poo it or try to explain it or, or ignore it. Ignore it. Something's happening to Moses. What exactly is it? We, we don't know. But we want to pause there for just a second to see what's taking place. Uh, there was a woman in my church in, in, in California, back in my youth ministry days, a sweet woman. Her name was Louise. She had a, a, very, a very arthritic hand, though. Her left hand was, was almost frozen in, in, like this, with her fingers drawn in. She couldn't really turn her wrist or her arm. She was in great pain all the time. And the prayer group at the church prayed for her quite often. One day, she came to worship, and she was doing this with her hand, flexing her fingers and moving, moving it around. She said, can you believe this? I've had a miracle. My hand has been healed. It's unbelievable. The first woman she saw said to her, well, now, Louise, that's nice. The medications finally kicked in and started doing some work. She went to another person and said, can you believe this? Look at my hand. It's going. I said, oh, that's nice. It was probably psychological. It was all in your head. You finally have given up whatever it was you were fighting with about yourself, and now your body's relaxed. That's all it was. She found a third person, got the same kind of thing. Oh, your medication in your mind or whatever. It's all better now. That's nice. And then I saw her a few minutes later walking out to the parking lot. I said, Louise, are you leaving worship early? How come you're not staying for worship? She said, I'm going to go find a church that will celebrate my miracle with me. Thank you. We don't want to look at those miraculous moments and, and dismiss them or ignore them because they still happen. I, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, I take the Bible seriously, not literally, but sometimes there are these burning bush moments in our lives. May, may I tell you about one from ours, from our family? Many years ago when we were living in Atlanta, I met a dog named Bell. Bell was owned by Bob and Polly, sweet couple in the church, getting close to retirement. I, I met Bell when I went to see Polly after she'd gotten out of the hospital and was at home recovering. And I sat on the couch, and Bell, who was this sweet Visla dog, kind of the size of a lab, came over and sat next to me, rested her muzzle on my knee, just sat there. I occasionally stroked the back of her neck, and she just stayed there the whole time. Sweetest dog I've ever met in my life. Well, a few months later, Bob and Polly decided they wanted to retire completely, and they were going to move to Florida, but the place they were moving to in Florida would not allow uh, pets to be there. And so being sort of stoic, quiet, unassuming folks, rather than put their dog off on someone or make other people feel like, oh, i got to take care of that dog, do you know what they did? They put her in a shelter. It would just broke their hearts to put that sweet dog in a shelter, but they just didn't know what to do. Well, a couple days later, Polly mentioned to one of her friends in the Christian Women's Fellowship at the church that they'd put Belle in the shelter, and pretty soon that CWF lady, she went and got on the prayer line, and she called, started calling all the women in the church who were on the prayer line, what are we going to do about Belle? What are we going to do? We need to do something, this poor sweet dog. And pretty soon, my wife got a call. <clears throat> and then she called me at the church. And she said, did you hear? I said, I heard. I know. I know. We, honey, we don't need a dog. It's really, we've got a dog and a cat and two sons. We've got you and me. Our house is full. We don't need to add one more. She said, well, you could move out. <laughs> I said, honestly, honey, we, we, don't need a, we don't need a dog. Hung up the phone. Came home later that afternoon. No one was in the house. I walked out to the back porch and there was Nate, our fourth grader at the time, with his arms around that sweet dog. Now, let me tell you a moment about Nate. Nate is a brilliant kid. Nate's the one who introduced me to the readings 
in the writings of Lao Tzu. He's a, he's a philosopher at heart, Nate is. He's doing really well now. He's a, he's a talented young adult who's got some really cool things happening. I can't tell you all of it, but it's really cool stuff happening. But, boy, when he was in school, back when he was in the fourth grade, he'd had four really hard years of school. You know, Nate's brain kind of works like this, and school makes you think like this, and oftentimes there was conflict, and Julie and I struggled, and, boy, I wish we could have done things differently, but we just didn't quite know what to do with that boy, and he was just really having a hard time, and it broke our hearts to see how hard things were for him. And when I walked out on that deck, it was a burning bush moment because that boy was sitting next to that dog and he had his arm wrapped around that sweet dog's neck and he turned and looked at me and there were huge tears. You know those tears that little kids like these do right here get sometimes? Those huge tears and he said, Daddy, we're keeping this dog. (laughs) And Belle turned and looked at me and she had huge tears in her eyes. I'm not quite sure I speak dog, but she said something like, Daddy, I think I'm here. I looked over after I hadn't noticed it when I first went out the porch. Julie and her friend Karen from across the street were standing there. They had their hands on their hips like this, just looking at me the whole time too. You know, of course, we kept the dog. It was a burning bush moment. It was a mysterious thing, some kind of a gift given to our family. It was a miracle for God's sake. That dog saved our lives. When we moved here to, to Kansas City three years later, Belle came with us. It was hard on our boys. They left all their friends behind, you can imagine. But there was Belle every day, every day, until her last breath, just loving those boys, loving all of us. So when, when you come upon a burning bush in your life, don't try to explain it. Don't try to ignore it. Allow it to speak to you in whatever way it needs to, to open your heart so you can find the courage you need for whatever is next. Moses is having a burning bush moment. It comes out of nowhere. He's not a particularly religious guy. Go back and read the story. There's almost nothing that suggests that Moses is spiritual or religious or really deeply involved in in thought about the holy or God or anything sacred like that at all. And yet out of nowhere, in the middle of what has become a very wonderful life, sweet, kind, precious. He's got a wife, kids. He's a shepherd. Everything's perfect. And then God interrupts it. And the voice from the bush, the voice from heaven says, my people are in pain. I'm sending you. I'm sending you. I've heard their cry. Now note this. Moses doesn't hear anything from God about how great he is or uh, how, how he's perfect for the job. There's no building up or puffing up. Nothing. Just my people are in pain. Now go to them. And set them free. Now, in my own life and maybe in yours, these moments that call for us to be courageous usually come out of nowhere. It's rare that you can sit down and plan, today I'll need to be courageous because I've got no. It usually just comes out of nowhere. I I got a phone call a couple years ago. I won't give you the details, but it came in the middle of Julie and I getting ready to leave to go out to a movie. Some friends were there with us. We're all going to go watch a movie. Our lives were smooth and easy, and and yet the call was, you're going to have to deal with something. And it's going to take some courage. Luckily, I'm married to a courageous woman. I was surrounded by some wise friends. But that's the way the life seems to happen. They just come, it just comes at us out of nowhere. And Moses, like I, like I did when that call first came, wanted to run away from it, 
wanted to hide it. Moses rejects the notion that he's the one for the task. Five times, five times he says basically, yes, Lord, that's true, but, uh, yes, but five times. I'm not a good speaker, he says. I don't really know who you are. I don't know these Hebrew people. I don't know Pharaoh. How am I going to, five times, at least five times, there are these yes, buts, yes, but, but no, and God just argues on and on and on. God relentlessly argues with Moses, finally, finally. There's no record of Moses saying yes, but the very next chapter, after all of these arguments, Moses goes to his father-in-law and says, okay, I'll go. I've got to go. I need to go back to Egypt to help my people. I, I, I love the Bible. I, I love it, especially a story like this one, because it's so real, so human. Moses, the reluctant hero. Moses, a simple man with no desire to be the one to do this, is the one who's chosen and sent. He wasn't looking for a deep spiritual experience. He wasn't trying to discover his bliss as Joseph Campbell invites us to do. He simply called from the comfort of home to make a difference in the world. And he goes. Or maybe what sent him was finally the ability to see with his heart. Maybe he began to look at the world and his people and the Egyptian ruler through the eyes of his heart, and there he found the courage and the strength that he needed to to take on the pain of slavery, the terror of a nation ruled by a demagogue whose personal pleasures and desires, whose resorts and rich little playgrounds were really what drove him to drive the Hebrew people deeper and deeper into slavery. He would tell them that he was the one who would be the answer to all their problems, and they're just too lazy, they need to get over it. Moses stands up to him. And in those four incredible words, declares the truth of the gospel, let my people go. The, the philosopher, and I always say his name wrong, so please forgive me when I, when I pronounce it again, mispronounce it again. Camus would tell himself that he must live to the point of tears. It's not a sentimental mushy kind of, oh, isn't that a sweet puppy and the commercial kind of thing? No, no, no. Live to the point of tears is to see the world in such a way that your heart is continually broken by the pain and the sorrow and the sadness. I I mean, as Joe described it this morning, there are millions upon millions who would love to have a clean glass of water, to have your heart broken, The poet David White comments on Camus' words. He says that courage is what love looks like when it's tested by the simple everyday necessities of being alive. Courage, do you hear his words, is what love looks like by the simple everyday necessities. Perhaps that what is Moses. After all of his reluctant whining, after all of his complaint, after all of his descriptions of why he should not be the one, maybe it's finally that he sees through his heart And with tears in his eyes, but strength in his voice, before the most powerful politician in the world, he declares, God has come to set God's people free. And God says to you, let my people go. See the world with your heart, because the world, Country Club Christian Church, needs you.